0: Well, good morning church. It's so great to see you and let me extend a happy Father's Day to you and to those that serve as father figures. Well, as Mike said, we're going to continue in our summer sermon series, Love the Other. And our focus today is going to be on kindness. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Mike preached on the power of agape love. And he explained to us that that is the highest form of love because it's other-centered, it's self-sacrificing, it willingly serves. Now that's not something that we get just by trying harder, by digging deep into ourselves. Agape love requires the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then last week, we heard from Pastor Tim Rose and he talked to us about patience. We learned that agape love is patient because it suffers long without complaining. Patience is that capacity to accept or tolerate delay or trouble without getting upset. And he told us that uh, the situations that require patience often expose in us this internal desire to be in control and that we need to surrender that sense of control to God if we wanna grow in patience. So I'm just curious how you all did last week with patience. Did you catch yourself where you're a little more sensitive and aware of moments that you found yourself being impatient? Well, today we're going to explore the next quality as we work our way through one Corinthians 13 and verse four tells us that love is patient and love is kind. Not a big text to work with. Love is kind, but I'm really excited to talk to you about it because as I prepared for this message, I discovered that God's word has an awful lot to say about kindness. Being kind is kind of a big deal to God. Hundreds of references to it in the Bible, and we're going to look at a few of them. I didn't want to do too many because I wasn't sure how patient you would all be. (laughs) Kindness is for all of us because we're all kind. We're all called to it, whether you're young or old or married or single, whether you find yourself in that stage of life of raising children or not, whether you're a student, professional, you're enjoying your retirement, wherever we find ourselves in life, all of us interact with other people. And every interaction we have, that's an opportunity to touch someone with kindness. Every single day, God gives us these opportunities to be kind, to be Christ-like, to our closest family members, right in our house, our friends, our coworkers, classmates, fellow church members. We can be kind to the cashier at the bank, to the person begging groceries, to the fast food worker taking your order. In all the multifaceted dynamics of those common everyday interactions, you and I have been called and equipped by God to be kind. What if kind thoughts, kind words, and kind acts defined you? What if, as we work, our way through this series on love. What if God were to do a deep work in your heart and you and I became unbelievably patient and kind, how much better would our life be? How much better would life be for those around us? Think of the blessing that that could be to your family, to your spouse, your children, your coworkers, and to this church. If God were to fill you through and through with his amazing kindness, his enduring patience, and then when the pressures of life squeezed you, you were so saturated with that, that that's what came out. His supernatural kindness, his incredible patience. I believe that, God, that if God's agape love flows through us in greater and greater measure, if we embrace God's patience with one another, if we excel, In God's kindness to one another, that hurting relationships could be healed, that peace could replace strife in a home, that unity can overcome division in a church, that joy can rise up in our hearts and that God would be glorified. And that's exciting because it's possible. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, I'm certain that God who began this good work within you, he'll continue until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. It excites me to know that every Christian has a God-given ability to grow in agape kindness because it is from him, it's a supernatural empowerment. You know, in a world filled with headlines of hostility and hatred of the other, where racial, social, economic, and political tensions are ratcheting up, and people on the right and people on the left constantly trigger each other, where expressions of anger and rage are rampant and seemingly contagious, where 50% of teenagers on social media experience cyberbullying, name-calling, threats, false accusations. And while we live in a rapidly changing culture, that all too easily cause us to adopt an us versus them mentality. In a world marked by vitriol and violence, we are invited by God to be vessels of kindness. Before we go any further, it's probably helpful to look at some definitions of kindness. The Oxford Dictionary defines kindness as the quality of being generous, helpful, and caring about other people. It's okay, this one's a little more descriptive. Kindness is the sincere and voluntary use of one's time, talent, and resources to better the lives of others, one's own life, and the world through genuine acts of love, compassion, generosity, and service. That's a pretty good definition of kindness. I think it's pretty hard to remember. I suggest that a short, and simple definition for kindness is simply love in action, or you could say agape in action. Now, when you look at the original language of this text, we would see that in the English, it just says love is kind. In the Greek, it says agape krestouomai. And I think you can see the word krestouomai is, the main part of that is the word krestos, and that means kind. It means useful, helpful, furnishing what is needed. It speaks of benefiting the other, serving the other, providing assistance, being tender-hearted and gentle, compassionate, caring, willing to serve, expecting nothing in return. So now that we've looked at some definitions of kindness, I also wanted us to look at how kindness defined the church especially the early church. The ancient historian Suetonius was born in the year 69, and he grew up as the church was growing and expanding across the Roman Empire. He's one of the very earliest historians that made a reference to Christ and to Christianity outside of the scriptures themselves. But he was no fan of Christianity. He actually supported the persecution of the Christians. In his writings, he justified the punishment that Rome was inflicting on the early church. He called them those who followed Crestos, because in his words, they were given to a new and a mischievous superstition. What stands out is that in his writings, he described the members of this new suspicious religion as Crestos instead of Christos. I have a slide here to show you the, how close those words are. I don't think he made a error in spelling. It was not unusual at all for observers of the faith to look at the early Christians and assume that they were followers of Christos, they were followers of kindness rather than followers of Christ. I think that says a lot about how they must have cared for one another and for others in society and how they were known by outsiders for their acts of kindness. I think that is possible because a hundred years later, the early church father, Tertullian wrote, it is our care for the helpless. It is our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. So a hundred years later, people are still identifying Christians in the community based on their acts of loving kindness and the care that they gave to others. What a great reputation for the Christians of that day. What a great reputation that would be for Christians of our day. And how would that happen? I don't wanna be Captain Obvious here, but here's the way it works. To be known as kind, you have to be kind. So then the question is, are you? Would others say, I'm a kind person? Would that adjective even enter their mind? Would my family say I'm kind, loving, compassionate, caring, helpful, quick to serve? Would someone outside the faith just observing describe me as a follower of crestos, someone committed to kindness? Now, I don't ask these to produce more guilt in us, but to promote more of Christ in us. Because the description of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 really describes Jesus himself, doesn't it? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He is not rude or arrogant. You get the idea. Jesus is the living epitome of agape love. Every day, we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit who works in us to conform us into the very image of Christ. That's Romans 8, 29. And a big part of being Christ-like is being kind. Now, part of this process of being conformed to Christ, it involves yielding our way to his way. And how do we yield? Colossians 3, 8 says that we make a decision to put away anger, rage, malice, slander, obscenity, we make a decision to put on Christ. We align ourselves with Colossians 3.12, which says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, meekness and patience. So scripture tells us that as new creatures in Christ, we're called to be clothed in kindness. You could say that Paul wrote out a a spiritual dress code for Christians, a required uniform that identifies who it is that you serve. And he mentions very specific qualities that would identify us as a follower of Christ. To live out of a compassionate heart, not a callous heart. To show kindness in a world that shows cruelty. To, yes, to be humble instead of high-minded, to practice meekness when we engage with others and not try to overpower them with manipulation, to be patient instead of being panicked. That is putting on Christ. That is bearing fruit. And isn't that what we are all aiming towards, all aspiring to be, to be more like Christ? I think that Christianity and kindness should go together like fire and heat. I mean, if you get close enough to fire, you will feel the heat. If you get close enough to a follower of Jesus Christ, you should feel something of a kind and gentle spirit, a humbleness of soul, a willingness to help. You should feel something of a love for the other. Now, we all know that we are imperfect Christians, and when we come together, we make an imperfect church. But here at Loudonville, we do aspire to practice kindness, to express God's love to neighbors and to nations, to serve others, to emulate Christ. And one way that we do that here is through supportive ministries like Grief Share. They help people who have suffered the loss of a loved one or divorce care for those who have experienced the pain of a divorce. Our Helping Hands Ministry offers practical assistance to those in need. The care group gives temporary financial help to struggling people on a case-by-case basis. We have a food pantry here that helps feed church families. We have a disaster assistance team that recently just came back from Fort Myers, Florida, where they helped restore homes. We have a new beginnings support group for widows in the church. And we're involved in Care Portal, which serves children in the Tri-City area. And many of you give generously to help us provide a Thanksgiving meal for 500 families in the Capital District. Um, I'm not saying all this to give the appearance, oh, we've arrived, because there's always so much more we could do. I mention it to remind you that these are all opportunities for you to be involved in caring for others and caring for our community. As Mike said, we have needs to volunteer. It's kind to serve in the nursery to let a mom be in here with us. You know, as I did some research on the topic of kindness, I discovered it's not just Christians that have a pretty high interest in kindness. Many people today are, talk about kindness. It's people of different faiths, people of no faith. It's very popular in today's culture. Now, for the last 30 years, the phrase practice random acts of kindness has really become part of our everyday language. It, you may see it on bumper stickers or T-shirts. And I learned that the promotion of kindness has become a global movement. Last year, 28 countries took part in World Kindness Day, which is every November 13th. This movement grows in popularity because it is a positive message, and it is something that every person can do. Every human has within them that natural ability to be kind because every human has been made in the image of God. But the kindness that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, That's a little different, that's agape level kindness. It's kindness, it's not found in us, it's found only in God. Agape kindness requires that a person knows Christ and has the spirit of God. Kindness is a quality of love. Paul noted that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it does rejoice in the truth. So being kind to others is not the same as celebrating everything possible. In fact, being kind sometimes requires initiating a hard conversation. In Psalm 141, David prayed and he said, "'Let the godly strike me, and it will be a kindness. "'And if they correct me, it's like soothing medicine.'" Now that was written, as I said, by King David, who knew firsthand about hard conversations, especially after Nathan the prophet rebuked him for his sin with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed in a battle. When he looks back on it, he says to himself, that correction was actually kindness. It was like taking medicine. It wasn't great at the moment, but I was much better off for it. I believe that kindness would implore an alcoholic or drug addict to stop living that way, to seek assistance, and it would offer to personally support them through the process of getting healthy. Consider this, Jesus was the kindest person who ever lived. He healed lepers, he restored sight to the blind, he opened the ears of the deaf, he raised the dead, he fed thousands, he delivered those possessed by demons, he made the paralyzed walk again, he healed all manner of sickness and disease, When we think of that, we certainly think, well, that is absolutely kindness, and it is. But Jesus was also being kind when he told the rich young man to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, come follow him and receive treasure in heaven. Jesus was not unkind or rude to challenge this man to live his life in a brand new way. Yet scripture reports that this rich young man, he went away feeling sad, grieved actually, Because following Jesus requires a willingness to follow, to receive guidance, to listen to instruction. And he was not willing at all. Jesus was being kind to the woman caught in adultery. When he told her to go and sin no more, he wanted her to have the best life possible. And it's because he loved her. Kindness is not intended to, or kindness is intended to facilitate repentance, not replace it. We see this in Romans 2, 4, which says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's an amazing thing, that it's the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God is intended to turn people from their sin and turn them toward the Lord. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You see, God's not compelling us to him by using force or fear. With great patience, he's drawing us unto himself through kindness. There's a great example of this in the book of Hosea. In chapter 11, God is speaking through Hosea and he's he's looking back on his relationship with Israel. And we see in verses one and two, he says, "'When Israel was a child, I loved him, "'and out of Egypt I called my son.'" Do you see there the tender heart of a father who just wants to connect with his child? In verse two, we see a problem. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offering to idols. So God's calling his people to come to him like a father calls his child to come to him. And the more he does that, the more they turn and go in the other direction. So instead of worshiping this God who loved them, this God who delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, who provided for all their needs in the desert, they decide, just ignore God. And let's do something else. They give their love and their worship to false idols. How could that not hurt the heart of God? What father wouldn't be devastated by that? How does God respond to rebellion and outright rejection of his love? No respect there, no concern for his authority, his place in their lives. Well, certainly he could have expressed anger at them, He could have made them feel the power of his wrath. He could have punished them and made their life so miserable that they would quickly regret their sins and return to him. That was one option. But verses 3 and 4 show us that God took a very different approach. Remember, these people had tasted his goodness, received his blessings, and then turned their backs on him and started worshiping idols. And even in the midst of that, we see how God responds. In verse three it says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to feed them. I think these verses paint a beautiful picture of God our Father and his loving kindness toward wayward, rebellious children. He taught them how to walk. In other words, he helped them get on their feet. He took them up in his arms, which means that he was staying connected. He was reaching out to them. He was even healing them, though they were unaware of it. What incredible kindness, because I suggest that he did have other options. When you and I are upset, when we feel rejected, ignored, slighted, unappreciated, disrespected, we tend to get angry and we show it. But there are other options. Like God, we can choose kindness instead of anger. Do you see that instead of using a whip of wrath to show them who's in charge, he led them with cords of kindness and he encircled them with ropes of love? Instead of doubling down on them and making life hard, he eased up on their yoke. He showed mercy. And God himself bent down. This great and glorious king and creator of the entire universe, he stoops. He takes an initiative to choose to close the gap between them. Now, he didn't bend down to get right in their face and let them have it. He bent down so that he was closer to them to feed them, to give them what they needed to live. What a picture! Of the Father's love, unconditional, unearned, unyielding, faithful, and kind. The 18th century French philosopher Joseph Schubert said, Kindness consists in loving people more than they deserve. Church, would you say that God has loved us more than we deserve? I hope we can say that. I hope we see that because when we see God for who he really is, when we experience his love, his mercy, his loving kindness, it will pull us toward him. It will melt a hard heart and soften resistance. God's kindness leads to repentance. It leads us to change our attitude about who God is, what God is like and how we ought to be relating to him. It makes us want to run to him, not run away from him. Charles Spurgeon said, The master magnet of the gospel is not fear, but love. People are drawn to Christ rather than driven to Christ. God treats each one of us better than we deserve, and he calls each of us to do the same. We may not understand everybody's culture, but we can still be kind. We cannot agree with everybody's ideas, but we can be kind. We cannot follow everybody's behavior, but we can behave in a kind way. The Bible says kindness should not be a stranger to your daily way of life. Proverbs 3.3 says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, keep kindness close to you. Like the American Express card, don't leave home without it. Did you know that when you're kind to others, that you are being kind to yourself? The Bible says that, and so does modern science. 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote that, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Today, multiple research studies show that being kind to others is good for you, physically and emotionally. A recent study by the Mayo Clinic discovered that practicing kindness reduces the feeling of stress because it lowers cortisol levels, it lowers blood pressure. Being kind to others releases serotonin and dopamine, which are neurotransmitters or chemical messengers. And they, in turn, boost our sense of satisfaction and well-being. They reduce pain, they reduce anxiety, depression, and they even strengthen our immune system. You see, Solomon was spot on 3,000 years ago. We were designed by God to be kind to one another. And when we are, we benefit ourselves emotionally and physically. God created our bodies to be kind to us if we're kind to someone else. Kindness matters to God because God is kind. We can see that in Exodus 34, six and seven. Now, Pastor Tim mentioned this last week when he preached on patience but we need to look at that again. It says, then the Lord passed by in front of him. Him, there is Moses. This is when God reveals himself to Moses. And God proclaims, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And what amazes me about this text is realizing that other possibilities existed. What if the God that we served chose to reveal himself like this? I'm the Lord, the Lord God, a fierce warrior. I am the essence of strength, power, and might. I can crush my enemies in a second. Now you, you will obey me immediately or suffer severely. I'm not big on mercy and forgiveness. I like to give out consequences. I can destroy you, so don't mess with me. Don't expect second chances. Just do it right the first time. Our God is all powerful. The truth is he can destroy anyone that opposes him. He really could insist on instant obedience, followed by instant suffering for disobedience. He could do that. He doesn't have to be merciful. He doesn't have to extend loving kindness. His patience, his compassion and forgiveness to thousands, he does that because that is who he is. It's really staggering to behold. Micah 718, the prophet considers God's kindness and he says, who is a God like you? who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in loving kindness. Now Micah understands that God is unlike anything else, that he would rather show mercy instead of might, that he delights in expressing his love and kindness to people who know full well, they don't deserve it. Now, when the scripture speaks of God's loving kindness, it's almost always using a Hebrew word, which is hesed. The Hebrew word hesed and the Greek word agape are very similar in the sense that they both refer to the highest level of love. Hesed speaks of a committed love, a a covenant love. It's a kindness that you can count on because it's based on God's character, not on the recipient's worthiness of it. Hesed involves taking action on behalf of someone in need. And God's call to us to love the other, it requires us, it does not require the other to be lovable or worthy or righteous. It does not require that the other look like us or think like us, talk like us, believe like us, behave like us, vote like us. They don't even need to like us. It's quite possible that we see each other more, even if it's possible that we see each other more as enemies because in Luke 6, 34, Jesus teaches us to love the other even if the other is our enemy. Just as Jesus asked his disciples, I'd like you to take these words personally like Jesus is asking, you this morning if you love those who love you what credit is that to you even sinners love those who love them if you do good to those who are good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do that if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment what credit is that even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full do you get the idea that jesus is not real impressed when his followers are only kind to their own kind does it seem like he's expecting something more from us something above and beyond the norm verses 35 and 36 are going to show us what that something more is but love in the greek word there agape agape your enemies do good to them Lend to them without expecting to get anything back and then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high. I just want to stop there and think about the words that he just said. The problem is I think we've heard these things a hundred times and it really loses the impact. Think about what a radical teaching that is and imagine that you're hearing it for the very first time. You've never heard that before, that you need to agape your enemies and do good and lend to them, expect nothing back. What would, going through your mind, here's the way my mind would work. Did he really say to agape love enemies? I mean, how does that make sense? Why would I ever do good to those people? Now, Jesus wants me to lend my resources to them, knowing I may never get it back? Why would I do that? Risk no return? How is that good stewardship? Why would me doing good to those I consider bad, how does that identify me as a child of God? And he said, I'd receive a great reward for doing this, really, for extending love and kindness to them? I don't know, this whole love your enemy thing seems very odd, very strange. I thought God was holy. Isn't he righteous? I mean, doesn't he just wanna crush these evildoers? Isn't he as angry at them as I am? Why would I be kind to those kind of people? And here's the rationale, the reason that Jesus gives why we should agape the other He says that when we do, we are affirming our identity as children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus said, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't be indifferent to those who are different from you. Instead, be kind to all kinds of people because God is kind to all kinds of people. And Jesus wants people to see his father in you and in me. Often, when I introduce my son, Jediah, to others, people tell me, boy, he looks a lot like you. It's no mistaking that you're father and son. There's a strong resemblance between us. Church, when the world looks at how we treat each other and how we treat, especially those that are different from us, people that are outside the faith, the other, if you will, would they see in us a strong resemblance of God the Father? Based on how we interact and engage with people, we are presenting an image of God who is either angry, harsh, mean, or God who loves them and is graciously willing to forgive them, who is unbelievably kind. Now, before I conclude this message, a few observations I couldn't not say something about the Good Samaritan in the story of the sheep and goats because kindness plays a vital role. Each of those could be a sermon in themselves, so I'm just gonna touch on them lightly. Trusting that you're quite familiar with the stories. You know that some of those characters would have identified themselves as active, devoted, faithful followers of God. And in both those stories, these faithful people, they have an opportunity several opportunities sometimes to really love the other, to be kind to others in a time of need. It's not explicitly stated in the text, but I do think it's reasonable to assume that all involved understood the idea of kindness. They all had an equal opportunity to do it, to show love and meet the needs of another. And we know that some did. They gave food and drink to the hungry and the thirsty. They saw a need for hospitality and they warmly welcomed in strangers. Clothes were provided to the destitute. The sick and those in prison, they received visits. The wounded, the victimized, the bruised, and the broken were shown compassion. They were given attention, care, and support to aid their recovery. Simply put, they were loved. All the characters in these stories, they had the same opportunities to love the other, to be kind, to be helpful. But not everyone decided to do that. Some looked at that need and kept a safe distance. They saw it not as an opportunity to show love. They saw it as an inconvenience, an interruption. Their response was not, oh, I've got to help at all costs. Their response was, I've got to avoid that at all costs. When they saw someone in need, they didn't move toward them. They moved farther away from them. They were only thinking of themselves, certainly not of the other. In his sermon on the Good Samaritan, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? but by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan, he reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? May God give us a heart for all people that we would not just have ideas about kindness, but we would actually be kind. May God so move in our hearts that we move toward those in need, not move away from them. Remembering that Jesus said whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If Jesus takes kindness to others that seriously, we wanna be serious about being kind. It's been said, do kind things for people, not because of who they are or what they can do in return, but because of who you are. Who are you? If you know Christ, you are a son or daughter of the most high God. And since he is kind to all kinds of people, let us commit ourselves to also being kind to all people so that they can feel and see God's love in action. Jesus put it this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you for being so kind to us, for loving us, even when we were ignoring you, for seeing the great need that we had to be delivered out of sin and death. And in your love and kindness, you sent Jesus to die for us. You did that while we were enemies We have received mercy we didn't deserve. We have received blessings that we did not earn. We've received forgiveness and eternal life through Christ our Lord. So we love to give you thanks and praise. Father, may we see that you are calling each one of us as your children, as your ambassadors, to bear witness of who you are and what you are like. May you empower us to love others as you do, to be patient and kind. And God, we have to confess that we've fallen short. I bet we can all think of times we have been unkind, indifferent, uncaring. We haven't always displayed a strong family resemblance to you. But we are committed to growing, to putting on Christ. So help us have kind thoughts, kind words, and kind actions to all kinds of people. For in serving them, we are serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.